Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Deep Cuts. Uh, I am your host, Antoine Reeve. For those of you who don't know me, or is this your first time watching? Uh, so today we have another special guest. Lots of the guests that I've had on for the last couple of weeks I've, uh, are people that I met at a trade show in Las Vegas. And so today's is another one of those people I met uh, in Las Vegas, but I've known of his company for a while. So we're going to be speaking to Enrique Sejas, and let me bring on our guest. Enrique, how are you? I'm doing very good, sir. How about yourself? I am doing well. So like I was telling people, the last time that we saw each other was a Las Vegas <laughs> a trade was- experience, which I know is always a, I don't know how you like trade show experience. I like them. It was my first time kind of back in the fold because I didn't go to uh, any trade shows in 2021. So it was my first time back in the wild. So it was a nice kind of easy situation, but you were always busy during the whole show. So what was what was that like kind of being in front of people and not uh, having to deal with people in a virtual <laughs> a virtual setup? Ah, it was a great experience. It's always good to, to see. Uh, the cool thing about uh, trade shows is that you get to see a whole bunch of friends, uh, consumers, well, not consumers in this case, customers, uh, retailers, distributors in, in one setup where everybody has one, you know, one goal and focus, which is, first of all, get to see what's new in your company. And secondly, see each other, meet, have a drink, smoke a cigar. And uh I loved it. I mean, it actually was my first time at the TPE uh, in Vegas, and it was a great experience. Uh, people were awesome. It was good to see a whole bunch of people. I was excited to be introducing my limited exposure number two project. Is that I will be well, shipping, shipping soon, actually. So it was a great experience. It's always good to be out there and, uh, I say, what do you call it, shaking hands and kissing babies? People uh-huh. say, <laughs> yep. Well, definitely. Like, and I know from following you on Instagram, you were recently uh, at Pro Cigar. Yes, Pro Cigar. That's an other amazing any event where you can meet your fellow cigar smokers is a great event. Pro Cigar is a very special event. It's uh, for people that don't know, Pro Cigar is the Pro Cigar Festival is the festival that we have every year, which I believe hasn't been on for two years. So it was our 2020 Pro Cigar, let's say. And it's where a cigar association of the Dominican Republic, they throw this awesome week event where people are able to come. They may be retailers, consumers, anybody that wants to come can come down and enjoy tours of factories, uh, tours of the field. They can meet all the manufacturers, all the company principals. And uh, every night there is a uh, party, a dinner party. So the first night you have, we have a welcoming cocktail. The second night you have a Caribbean uh, type of party. Then you have our uh, white party, which is in the monument, which is an amazing party. I believe it's the only uh, party that is done or dinner that is done in uh, in the monument in Dominican Republic, and then you finish up with a gala dinner, and that is always a treat. Uh, it's extremely tiring because what I, as I tell my friends and, and 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 people that come to visit, as you guys are having fun up until three four a.m. in the morning, and I'm there with you, I still have to wake up the next day very early to go back to the office and keep on working. So it's vacation. At the same time, I need like a week out of pro cigar to be able to recuperate. But it's always a great time. If you, you're able, at any time you're able to come down here, you should. And that's a great time to do it. And I actually met you at pro cigar, a past pro cigar. I don't know if you remember though. <laughs> I, what, what was this? I do not. And I am very sorry because of that. No, it was, fun. It was, it was pro cigar. I would think it would be probably pro cigar 2019. Okay. And you sat at, what I call the media table with uh, you were sitting next to Thor and Lisa. That and, was a dinner party, right? Uh huh. At one of the dinner parties, and and I was kind of sitting there. It's like my first time, uh, not in the Dominican Republic, but at Pro Cigar, because uh, we actually had uh, Pro Cigar 2019, and then that next year, right before the pandemic hit, we had the 2020 uh, Pro Cigar, 
And so it was a, a very weird, but that was the first time I met you. And I thought from, from hearing you interact with Lisa, I was like, this guy seems pretty cool. Cause most, most cigar people are pretty cool, but there are some that are kind of a, a little bit, uh, serious. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you are not serious, but you were joking and fun and, you know, you, you provided uh, some, some nice you can. at the table. I'm sorry. I think you can't take life too seriously. I always say the only thing that you, you have in life is being happy and enjoying life and then the rest will come. And that's the way I, I like to live. Like, by, by the way, was that time they were, they were, they were, they were making fun of you or just teasing you about being a, like being a pro cigar virgin or something. That's your first time a pro cigar. They treating you right. I think it, it, it probably was. It was my first time. Like I said, it was at the media table. So we had a, uh, Yami and uh, like I said, Thor and Lisa and Steve Ross. Uh, it was a whole. I remember. I remember, uh, I remember that uh, at Pro Cigar. I think it was at the the the, uh, the last dinner, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was it was at the last dinner, and it was also it was at one of the nights before too. But uh, whatever that. I don't, it wasn't the monument party, but it was whatever that, maybe that first welcome. The first one, the welcoming, the Caribbean uh -huh. night. Yeah. Well, hot damn. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was I, was I introduced myself. Like you say, you, you, you know, you, you asshole. You, I already met you. I'm not <laughs> me in public. I mean, are I'm you calling me out in front of everybody? Sometimes I like to have that, those secret meetings of people and people always forget our, our first encounters, which is f funny because Sometimes the first encounters are not something I would want to remember. And then I don't share that, that we met, met before. But like I said, that one I do remember. And it was all good. So I was like comfortable sharing that with you, that we oh, had that brief, brief encounter, which like I said, and after that, I was like following you on Instagram ever since then and kind of keeping up uh, with you and what you're doing. So just a fun little fat icebreaker, I, I would say to, to tell people uh, our, what our first uh, meetup was. So, so you know, I feel more comfortable now. I've met you twice now, so it's my third time. So we're just you know, practically family. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what I want to do with, and what we try to do on every Deep Cuts is introduce people to brands that they may have heard of, but they don't know the backstory. Um, and just have you tell us some of the story story behind your brand and the people behind the brand. And hopefully by the time people are done with this uh, hour that we have together, they come out saying, I definitely want to go out and buy this person's cigar because I know a lot more about them because I don't know about well, your experience, but my experience is that uh, consumers are moving away from just being about wrapper binder filler and they want to buy from brands that they relate to and people that they know and trust <laughs> and it's not just about naming exactly it's so hard so that's what deep cuts is all about and i know we have some people watching live and i'm sure there'll be uh people who will be listening to this in playback mode so what i want to start off with is always at the beginning so i was looking at your your website to kind of get the idea of the history but share with us like like Matilde is uh, kind of, I guess, what in America we would call like a reboot. <laughs> like it existed, it existed, and then it went away, and then your family kind of came in and picked it up and rebooted it for a new generation. So just kind of give us a story of how the company came about. Uh, that is correct. Matilde is uh, a reboot, which is a new term for me. Thank you. <laughs> you learn something every day. So uh, where it starts is with uh, with my dad, with uh, Jose Sejas. Uh, he started in the industry in 1974. He's an industrial engineer by trading. He was hired as industrial engineer. Uh, when he started working with, uh, with the tobacco industry, he wasn't really a cigar manufacturer. He was hired to direct the engineering department for what is now Tabacalera de Garcia which is which was owned by Gulf and Western at the time. And their main activity there, I believe there was a small cigar manufacturing, but their main activity was the sorting uh, fermentation of their Connecticut shade and their broadleaf. So they have plantations in Connecticut, Pennsylvania, they brought everything down. 
and years where they did the sorting. That was my dad's uh, introduction into the tobacco world. So unlike uh, many people my age, I am not, you know, second, I am a second generation, but we don't have like a deep uh, root in uh, cigars. Uh, we did inherit, or I did inherit a deep passion for cigars and tobacco from my father. But uh, my dad started there as an industrial engineer. He was then transferred uh, to the Canary Islands in Tabacalera Insular, where he was actually in manufacturing. I think they made Monte Cruz, uh, Don Diego, and then other brand. I think it was Trinidad. No, maybe. I'm not, I, I don't recall right now. And he, he offered the opportunity to move there, and he moved there with my mom and my sister at the time. Sister was about uh, and that's where he started the manufacturing and, and, and he started dipping in into, into the manufacturing world. So that factory got moved back to La Romana, our hometown. And that is what Tabacalera de Garcia, which is out this manufacturing facility, is right now. Um, he became the VP of operations uh, and master blender for the company in 84, which is the year that I was born. And basically, he lived his life as a cigar man that was his passion well he's still alive by the way he's just retired <laughs> but uh he lived uh, his life in Tabacarecia as a cigar man he loved it he, he he was extremely passionate about it and the people so how did Matilde start so my dad retired from Tabacalera de Garcia from his position in 2011 I believe and I was working with him at the time. So for me, uh, being in the cigar industry was a big deal because my dad is somebody of uh, many children. Uh, so he, they, I look up to them and I really looked up to my dad, not because of what he did in cigar wise, but also what he represented in the community, how he helped people and, and the passion that he showed in, in the business. And I always wanted to work with him. So for me, it was a great opportunity to start working with him uh, in Tabacalera. I did a whole bunch of things with him, but about a year and a half into my, my working with, uh, with him at the factory, he decides to retire and he retires. So Matilde was a, let's say, retirement uh, project, a retirement plan for my dad. And it was uh, like an introduction or or. or getting a keep going on for me and, and cigars. Um, Matilde is, you said, is an old brand. It's a brand from uh, 1876. And if you guys ever see our boxes, it will say Matilde 1876, because at the time it was uh, founded. It was founded by Simeon Mencia in Santiago de los Caballeros. He uh, passed away in about 1913. The company, as you mentioned, uh, ceased to exist. So in order for us to, to pay homage to our country, uh, we are Dominican by blood. We are born in Dominican Republic. 80% of all tobaccos that we use are Dominican. And besides that, we manufacture our cigars in Dominican Republic, right? So we wanted to revive something that, that had Dominican roots, as we do. And that's how we, we had a historian looking at different brands of uh, cigars. And Matilde came along. Uh, we like the name. We love the name. We like the, the 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 logo or what was the seal of warranty at the time, and we revived it. This project started about 2012, and we actually launched our first line, Matilde Renacer, in uh, 2014. And as you said, you you call it reboot. I call it rebirth. Renacer means uh, rebirth or reborn in English, but Spanish. And uh, it was a very uh, significant name for us because it was a re rebirth of, of Matilde as a brand, but also the rebirth of, of my dad in, in a sort of way. If you think about it, he, he came from uh, managing anywhere between 25 to, I think, almost 5,000 employees and, uh, and producing millions of cigars. I mean to working with about 25 employees and producing a couple hundred thousand cigars. So the cool thing for him was that he was able to speak with his rollers and his bunchers and, and explain what he wanted to, to achieve uh, front to front as we, well, we, we are on the internet, but as you and I are talking right now, right? 
Right. And that's the origin or the genesis of Matilde. So we had a small factory in La Romana. And now we moved our production uh, to Tabacalera Palma. That is the origin of Matilde. And that's where we come from. The idea behind the branding, we wanted to keep it very simple. Our branding, let's see if I got these beautiful boxes right here. So what we have with Matilde is that all our boxes are same type of box, same cabinet boxes, same branding, just different colors. People remember color and that's what we were trying to get. So if I ask somebody, oh, you smoked the Matilde and I ask what Matilde it is, usually it won't know the name, but I'll say, well, you, you like the blue, you like the red, you like the orange. And that was what we're trying to look for the branding. We did uh, cabinet boxes to make it shelf friendly for retailers and we kept it simple. We have our project consists of four core blends. We have a mild to medium, which is our Serena. We have a medium bodied uh, full in flavor, which is our Renacer, which is our first release. We have an Oscura, which is what I'm smoking uh, right now, your Matilde Oscura, and the Cuadrata, which is our box press, all in four sizes, Corona, Robusto, Toro, and Grande. And uh, the reason we wanted to keep the portfolio uh, tight is to keep consistency tight and quality tight. And that's what we've been working since, I think we started releasing the limited exposure project uh, last year. But since then we've been working with uh, our 15 SKUs and just putting them in uh, people to enjoy. One of the viewers, uh, David Bennett says, make a Lancero again. <laughs> ah, the Lancero. Well, David, I'll tell you something. Something will be coming out uh, soon. Uh, it might be a Lancero, it might be something similar to a Lancero. What David Anton is talking about is that in our launch, our, our beginning of Matilde, my dad was, uh, it was his 40th year in the industry. And to celebrate it, we made a 40 by seven Lancero in a 40 box count. And there were only about 625 boxes made. So I guess David ran out of his stock and uh, he's looking for more. <laughs> what was, and I know you can't, you can only speak for yourself, but what was that transition like for your family of, you know, your dad working in the industry and then all of a sudden deciding, hey, I want to own my own brand? Because I can, I think for some people, they might think that was like, oh, he knew what to do. Like it, it was probably pretty easy for him. But was it as easy making that transition or uh, was it a bit of a challenge and learning curve? Oh, it was a huge challenge. Nothing, nothing good in life comes without a challenge. But this was a huge challenge. If you think about it, eh, we, we come from corporate. Oh, my dad, my dad uh, ran uh, Tabacalera Garcia as a business unit. So he worked and, and, he, and, and he worked it as a business unit. But it was so corporate and, and there was a, a very different uh, dynamic and very different finances. Uh, so that's the starters. I mean, finances by itself is a starter. And then we we come from manufacturing. My dad comes from manufacturing. My dad didn't come from marketing. He didn't come from sales. My dad's a genius when it comes to to, to making a cigar, to making the consistency. I mean, he, he he pulls to perfection. But when we start making cigars, now how do we sell them? And that was the fun part. So getting into that side of, of the industry, uh, which was the actual distribution, the, the resale, the, the promotion, the marketing, that was all a learning come for us. I mean, I, I, I knew it from, from universities, but I was always into the, uh, and I did, do a, I did do distribution in Dominican Republic for a couple of years, but it was a different type of distribution. Our, our market is, it, right now, it's actually Dominican Republic is growing a lot as a consumer market, but before it was a lot of travel retail, so it was a different type of sale. Mm -hmm. um, so when it came to placing Matilde in the United States and the world, it was a whole different ballgame. Uh, just the dynamic, uh, the, the different steps you had to take to import and sell the cigar, resell the cigars, the different cost structures. It was, uh, it was a huge learning curve for us. And it's still a learning curve. I mean, if you think about it, we're, we're not new, but we're not old. And you learn something new every single day. But yeah, it was, it's been a ride. I can tell you that. <laughs> what, 
Um, what part of the cigar making process is your favorite and which part is your least favorite? Of the cigar making process factory. So I love the farm. I, I mean, I experienced a farm when I was in, in Tabacalera. I did three months in Santiago. I went three months to Mexico with the Torrent family and the manufacturing side. The side I like the most of when it comes to cigar manufacturing, it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a full process, but seeing bunchers and rollers make the cigar and make it in such a seamless way and it being something so hard, so, so intensively hard to do is something beautiful. I mean, that specialization that the rollers have and the ease that they have in making a cigar consistent, uh, you know, cigar after cigar, bunch after bunch is something beautiful that I really enjoy. I really enjoy seeing, I, I enjoy the process. I enjoy the quality control process when it comes to that. And that I, I take from my father. My, my father is an industrial engineer. He he liked to disconstruct every single process that there was, even though it was done well, to find anything that he could do better. So I would say the manufacturing part and the uh, the testing part. So trying tobacco, like learning part of, you know, what goes well with what, what blends well with what is also uh, interesting part of cigar making, which you never stop learning because ever changing. You know, that reminds me of, uh, I was working on a story with uh, Manuel Inoa today. Um, and I was reading through some of his responses to some of the questions I asked and I asked him, you know, how do you document your process or your cigar making process? Because I think the documentation part and just figuring out how people keep track of, of things is part that we don't really talk about as much. So how do you document your process? And like, is video and social media part of the documentation process for you? I don't do that much video on social media. I use a lot of writing. I use a lot of, well, not pen and paper anymore. I use a tablet. So anytime I'm at the factory, I'm visiting, I am always taking notes of what's going on, what we're doing, you know, anything that we can do better. Um, when I'm visiting Hochi, when I'm visiting Hostos at Tabacalera La Isla. So my process is very much documented by, uh, let's say, pen and paper, and then uh, digitally. It's something that I need to do more often is use my social media and my Instagram to document the process and actually expose the process. Because one of the cool things nowadays is that we were talking about, you can... Expose the process. You can not expose, show the process. So show what's going on behind the brand, what, what you're doing when you're blending something. And it's just, it's very interesting side of the industry that nowadays people are seeing more. Mm -hmm. But I believe as a cigar manufacturers, uh, we, we should be, or cigar brand owners, we should be showing a little bit more up. Uh, so people get to know a little bit more what goes on and understand why cigars are what they are. Oh, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that's what makes uh, Pro Cigar such an important event for people to get out to. Because like, if you're a consumer or even a retailer and you don't get out to these factories as often as you should or uh, if at all, um, just being able to go into a factory and see how it's made, I think it completely changes your, your view of the product. It does. I, I, and as I said, I am from Dominican Republic and, and, and I come from the tourist side, the tourism side of the Dominican Republic. And I've done a lot of tours of factories. I've toured a lot of people. And it, I mean, they might be cigar consumers, not consumers. Uh, we've always had a note. When my dad was in, in, in Tabacalera, it was always, always an open factory. And when he, we had our small manufacturing facility, it was an open factory. And one of the beautiful things that you see and, and you experience when, when you're giving a tour is there's two things usually a cigar tour is composed by like a private cigar tour is composed by a cigar lover or geek as we as we, you know we call it in the industry and his friends and his friends might be people that smoke might be people that don't like to smoke or just you know they're just on vacation so they do the tour so 99 percent of the time when somebody had not seen a cigar factory and they saw what goes behind it. I mean, the tobacco sorting that goes before the pre-blend, when you're also conditioning the tobacco before it's going into the table 
and seeing the bunchers, uh, you know, make these cigars at this speed and rolling press draw master and all this aging. Their thing is why is cigars? Why are cigars not more expensive? And people notice that cigars are, they're an art form. It might be industrialized art because we are in an industry, but it's art. Every single cigar that we make is a piece of art and every single cigar is different. It's uniquely different. Uh, the idea behind making the blend is making sure every cigar reminds you of the other one. But if you look very closely to it, there's going to be variances. Uh, my dad always liked to say that that they, cigars should be like cousins or brothers. They're never going to be. I mean, you might have an identical twin, but it's never going to be the same. They're brothers or cousins. They're supposed to remind you of each other every time you smoke a cigar. So these people that smoke cigars, cigar smokers, with these cigars, I mean, wow, you sell them cheap for everything that you do. And they don't know half of it because they don't know the the, the, the the distribution chain that goes behind it. I mean, factories are not selling it towards the retailer, right? And then the coolest part is the people that don't smoke, people that don't understand cigars, people that are not passionate about cigars. When they, when they, when they see this process, they realize what I said. They're like, "Wow, this is not." I mean, they, everybody joins us. We are tobacco, we're tobacco industry, but everybody joins us with every everything else. And every time you torch somebody that has no idea what a cigar is, is not passionate about cigars, it doesn't understand the, the brotherhood and the sisterhood that is behind cigars, and they go through a factory, I, I 100% would bet my life that they will come out with a different outcome saying cigars are different. This is an art. It is something that we need to keep. It is something that, that's just beautiful. So I get you. People should come down to Pearl Cigar. They should see cigar factories more often. Not even a factory. Just look for a place where they make cigars and, and see it. It's it's just different. I always say I think the best thing that for those who are working on the advocacy side of cigars, they should organize more trips to the Dominican Republic and to Nicaragua and Honduras and the lawmakers who are trying to make these, these decisions on the product actually see how these these are made because a cigar is made in a completely different handle and just conceptualized in a complete, completely different way than any other tobacco or deemed product. And yet that story doesn't always get told. Like you can't, you can only tell that story so far by, you know, having them go to a facility here in the U.S. I think they have to kind of go to these other countries to see as somebody um, just mentioned in one of the comments, you know, the 300 hands that go into making, you know, the cigar. You, you can't get that same thing by just going down to Miami in most cases and, you know, speaking to some of the manufacturers that have offices there. I think you really have to go to the heart of where these products are made, which is, like I said, some of these big cigar making countries like the Dominican Republic. 100% agree with you. And, and not only see the process, but see the people behind it. Mm -hmm. see the family, see how everybody gets along, how, how, how factories help out and help communities and, and help people. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's as, as both as a, it's a family. And if you think about it, it's even good business. I mean, we, you know, we help people out of the heart, but it's even good business to, to, to help. If, if we're talking about cigars in art form, you can have a perfect blend. You can have the best tobacco in the world. At the end of the game, the person that's actually making the cigar is that buncher and roller. So if that buncher is having a bad day or is worried about something, was preoccupied, your cigar might not come out as you're supposed to blend it. It might come out tight, overweight. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that come out because it's industrialized art. It's, it's art. It's an art form and it's handmade. Everything is handmade. So if everybody's happy, the bunchers are happy, you're helping out, you're helping out families, they have their they're, they're, first of all, they feel identified with the company. They feel identified with the cigars and with the brand. And then they have nothing else to worry about. They're happy. And when you're happy, you usually do a better job. So when you mentioned the whole price point thing, do you think, you know, price point is one of the issues that kind of confuses non-cigar smokers about cigars? Because you have, uh, you know, I think they sometimes associate a low price with being a cheap item that's just sold to kind of make a buck. Um, yeah. and they kind of associate sometimes 
when I first got into the industry back in 2010, you know, my whole idea of, of premium cigars was like this product that probably was far out of reach for me. And, you know, I didn't even think about price point, but then you, you see some companies that uh, sell, you know, cigars for $40, <laughs> you know, a stick. And then you see yeah. the other ones, like I said, that do it for, for $5, as low as $5. So do you think mm -hmm. this is, is this one of those areas that maybe the industry has to take a look at in order to define what makes it premium or is it not as much as you? I wouldn't, I, I, I would say no, absolutely not. I mean, price points, it, a, a premium cigars are premium cigars. You know, a lot, you have long for their 100% handmade. If you have a cigar that's, you know, $5 and a cigar that's $40, the process does not necessarily mean it's 100% different. There might be a little variations, tobacco might be different. But it's still a, a full handmade cigar, which is made in a factory with, you know, a whole bunch of people, 300 hands, as they mentioned uh, in, uh, in the comments. So I don't think price point is is the, the matter. I think it's more of exposure, as we were talking about, and people understanding what goes behind uh, a cigar. It's not something that's made mass market. It's not massive production. I think anything that 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 is handmade and it is made as cigars are made should be considered premium doesn't matter the price point if i want to sell my cigar for two bucks because i want everybody to enjoy it and i don't want to make any money you go you know more power to me doesn't mean that matilda is a, it's not a premium cigar it's an extremely premium cigar and if i compare my cigars for pri our price points are, are under ten dollars and i don't think that my cigars are you know uh less i said less better my English is not too very looking sometimes. Well, are, are, are not as good as your $40 cigar, you know, or your $50 cigar. Right. Just different price points, different, you know, marketing. I mean, there's a whole, a whole lot of things that go behind the price point. And it's not the premium. It's not the, it's not the, the, the that's hand rolled. It's not that it's made uh, by people. So I don't think the price point should define a, a, a premium cigars. Well, I think that's a great take on that subject. I know it's been discussed to death, especially in the last couple of weeks with all the FDA stuff going on and uh, the big NASA report that just came out about, you know, price point. And that's always been an arguing point. So it's always nice to get an actual manufacturer's perspective on it. Cause I know for the consumer, you know, the consumers like affordable products, but uh, with, with good enough marketing and a good enough story, I mean, you can get them to easily <laughs> buy anything. You can get them to buy a $2 cigar. Or you can get them to buy a $40 cigar. It's just this. It's all about how it's positioned and marketed and um, just built up. Oh, definitely. And, 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 and cigars, I divide cigars into two aspects when it comes to, to quality and manufacturing, right? You have the object, your objective, the objective part which is your construction, how it burns, your consistency, how it draws. So anything anything that's objective that you can actually measure is your objective part. And, and a great cigar is a greatly constructed cigar. And then you have the subjective part. That's where your brain comes in. That's where your past experiences come in. That's where, you know, this little thing and your mood comes in. I've had cigars which I have not liked because I'm in a bad mood. Or sometimes a cigar gets me in a good mood because it reminds me of something. Mm -hmm. So, and when it comes to that, marketing and, and perception has a lot to do with it. And I say this because there's a, a retailer that I met and we were talking about this. And he said, you know what I like to do? I like to do blind tastings. I like to take cigars, you know, same type of, uh, of, of wrapper. They look similar. I take the bands off and we do like different tests. And I get people to say, what was their favorite cigars? And many times, uh, your you know your five dollar cigar beats your forty dollar cigar or your thirty dollar cigars, because perception is huge. It's huge. It's subjective. I mean, and and it's something that is in our nature. So as you were saying, I mean, with good marketing and good perception and, and good positioning, you can price a cigar much more expensive than you could in a you know with a cigar that doesn't have that much marketing. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. It's just different. And when it has come to the marketing side of, of how you promote Matilde, what's worked for you? Because I know I asked that because I know your, your goal, obviously, always is to grow your customer base. 
but being a tobacco brand, obviously you don't have the means uh, or the ability to promote as if, you know, as any other brand can, because there's limitations of what you can do on social media. There's limitations on the digital stuff you can do. You can't use Google ads to drive traffic, you know, to your website. So, so how have you handled that situation of, like I said, the marketing and build getting people to notice your brand? Very expensively. <laughs> uh, no, traveling. I mean, I, I when we started Matilde, I used to travel about six months out of the year. So I was uh, two weeks in, two weeks out from Dominican Republic. And as we were talking before we started the show, nowadays, uh, uh, this helps a lot. Being able to have a conversation uh, with you in deep thoughts or with anybody else or even with a group of smokers, it helps. And before uh, the pandemic, this was not heard of. People would say, no, you have to, you know, you travel, you travel, you travel. And now you can have a mix of it. I'm, uh, I'm a firm believer that your best marketing for your cigars is putting it in people's mouths. I mean, having people try your cigars, if you're confident that your cigar is of great quality and is of great uh, taste, just put it in people's mouths. And that's something that, I, that I've always learned and uh, learned from my dad. He, as a cigar manufacturer, always had cigars. And he would say, that's your best marketing. Because if people love it, they'll become your ambassadors. And if you have one ambassador, that's another people, you know, they start adding people and adding people, adding people. But it's uh, organic. It's been uh, very organic for us. So it's conversations. It's getting to know people. It's telling, talking about the story. It's visiting stores. And now it's doing more and more Zoom meetings. It's, you know, sampling trials and stuff like that. So it's basically that more organic face-to-face uh, -face, uh, feel. I know when I was speaking to her class, especially how he said the pandemic kind of put a lot of stuff in perspective about how he needed more balance in between the family life and the business life. How has that, how has the pandemic, I would say, uh, impacted your view? Cause I know you have a family, you're big on family as well. Has it, did it, the shift and like you said, not being able to travel and all that kind of stuff and just everything that was going on during the pandemic that, did that make you kind of reevaluate, you know, how you were doing business? Um, so my, uh, let's see how I put this. I started dating my wife when Matilde started. So about a couple of months after Matilde started my, I started dating my wife, Gabriela. And, uh, and I said the day I, you know, I put a ring on it, I want to get married. And the day I get married, I want to have a child because I, I got married at 34, which is not old. But you think about it when you have a child when you're 20 or 50 something. So you get old at the time, right, right now. And one thing that I did tell her is when we have our child, I will travel less. And it's something that I've always had very, uh, very present. The pandemic did, I mean, force everybody to stop traveling. And it did bring new tools into the into the industry, which is you know your Zoom, your meetings, your your your, your internet meetings, let's say. Um, but yeah, you do reevaluate. You do things, uh, see things differently. You do things, see how fickle life is, and how uh, you know things can change very quickly. So you, even though I did value my family and I and and I live for my son. And then my wife, you do reevaluate and say, as her luck was saying, her luck traveled a lot more than I did. Um, so, yeah, you say, Ponyo, we got to spend more time. We have to spend more quality time. So I do try to get home early and be with my with my kid instead of staying late in the office and doing other things that I can do the next day. And uh, but I've always had it. I always had it certain. I mean, I, I, I wasn't going to keep on, you know, traveling, you know, six, seven months out of the year once I have a child, because. I want to be present in uh, in in my child's life. In my case, uh, my my dad didn't travel, but we used to make fun of him that he had four kids. So it was my sister, which is the eldest, my brother, my my me, myself, and the factory, because he was there all the time. And during the, the cigar boom, my we used to visit him. My mother used to go and sit with him at night because you know it was a twenty-four hour shift, and my dad was very much a, a factory or company oriented. He was a great father. He is a great father. He's an amazing dad. So I have no complaints about that. 
but I wanted to be a little bit more hands-on when it comes to, you know, I want to get home, I want to shower my kid, I want to feed my kid, so a little bit more hands-on in that case. And that's what I've been doing. And, and I, what I, you know, what I, I guess what I would, you, 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 you preach, you, you do what you preach. What is it, what's the saying? Practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. So I <laughs> practice what I preached. Well, like I said, one of the things that being said, you did make it out to the TPE trade show this year and you had a lot of stuff to show off. And like I said, you had a very, you're part of the Sutliff booth for people who weren't there. So it was like every, it was like stations. It was like every corner of that booth had like another company in it. It was busy, yeah? <laughs> like walking by several times, just trying to get a scope of things. And I was like, oh, I'm like Matilda is here. But like every time I walked by until that time that I was able to stop and actually speak with you and do a video, um, I mean, you were busy. So I know that like, obviously it was important to take advantage of that time, like you said, to be in front of people because it was, it was so rare up until that point. And we're kind of getting back into the swing of things, but um, you had a lot to show off, which was, was nice. Cause so did you spend the pandemic kind of getting, you know, releases ready or trying to work with the factory to get supplies up to where you needed it to be or? But the pandemic affected a lot when it came to back order and stuff like that. And uh, and it helped us. It, it helped us. It helped me reevaluate and develop new stuff. As you were saying, we uh, during the pandemic, uh, Ostos uh, from Tabacera La Ista set up his, uh, his manufacturing facility. And I've known Ostos uh, since the university. And we worked together uh, when he was in Quesada. So I knew at some point we were going to work again. And when he set up the factory, uh, we started the limited exposure project with them so what uh right now how matilda's divided is our core lines which i mentioned before your serena your renacer your oscura and your cuadrada are manufactured in uh, tabacalera palma which uh Ochi blanco and then the limit exposure project which is our newest project is being manufactured at uh, tabacalera la isla with hostos and it's just different types of, uh, of energy manufacturing with uh, the limited exposure. It is, as it's called, it's exposed limited amounts of time. And the, uh, the concept of the project is having three blends that will be released every six months. So every year you'll, be, you'll only see two of the blends. And then the next year you only see two of the blends. So keep the type of what's new feel because you won't see the blend in 18 months and you'll keep it moving and growing. And it's something that is, uh, it's a long-term project. It, it's meant to grow organically within the stores that have it. So let's say if we made, you know, a thousand boxes and we throw a thousand boxes between 10 stores and those 10 stores and we increase our production by, by 50%. So those 10 stores would get that same increase in 50% by allocation. So what that means is that all stores want to take those allocations, they keep the full production of limited exposure. Usually what uh, happens in real life is that a store might not do well with one brand, with one line, and one might do well with the other. So in the maturity of the project, you're going to have a store that's going to have an allocation of 25 boxes of one line. 50 boxes of another line and 100 boxes of their line, depending on how they do. But they only see those lines every 18 months. So it'll be a rotation. And the idea was being able to keep our core blend concept uh, consistency in check. And at the same time, being able to offer something that is relatively new and already known to the consumers and to the retailers. So what we're uh, now is a told you we're setting it out was this. This is our limited exposure number two project, which is our beautiful uh, Campana Purple. The cool thing that I wanted to do, I try to root a lot of, uh, of our marketing and a lot of our colors from, uh, from nature and from the Dominican Republic. So the colors of our core product, you have besides uh, the Serena, which is blue, you have your orange, your red, and your green, which is your tobacco leaf. We were going to do a different color with the Serena, but because of the Connecticut, it just looked too off. So we had to have that teal to pop. And when it came to the limited exposure, I wanted to, we took the colors from fauna and flora from the Dominican Republic. So your limited exposure number one, which is uh, 
which is this beautiful bright red, is, uh, is a color of an endemic orchid in Dominican Republic. And the purple is a color of uh, endemic flower called Campana in the Dominican Republic. So it's little things I like to take. I, I usually take a lot from the DR as we are Dominican. So it's something that I like to take. With this cigar, what we're trying to do is uh, it's very, it's got a nice floral aromas. It's sweetness. It's very creamy. As a Corolla wrapper, as a Dominican uh, binder and full Dominican filler. So it's very Dominican heavy. And for those of people who were not at TPE, I wanted to show a quick little video where it kind of goes over what you just did, but it shows all the boxes and stuff. So hold on just a second. We're gonna play this video. Hey guys, how are you? It's Enrique Sayers with Matilda Cigars at TPE 2022. Guys, you gotta check out Matilda Limited Exposure number two. It's our second iteration of the series, manufactured with our good friends of Tabacalera La Isla, Osos Fernandez. We came out with this uh, release. It's going to be released at the shops at the end of February. We're presenting it at TPE. Dominican heavy blends. Got four Dominican fillers. Dominican binder finished with a Corojo wrapper from Ecuador. Medium body and strength. Very creamy, nice sweetness to this cigar. Besides that, you guys got to check out our core line. We have four core lines. Matilde Serena, which is our mild to medium cigar. Great cigar for the morning or with cup of coffee. We have our Rina Ser, which is our medium body. We have the Oscura, which is our San Andrean wrapper, Ecuadorian Sumatran binder, Pennsylvanian filler, which gives it a lot of the strength, and we round that up with Dominican and Nicaraguan. And final but not least is our box press. A2000 seed from Ecuador, Olor Binder. It's got three types of Dominican filler, Nicaraguan. Very round, balanced cigar, nice spices to it. Not overly sweet, not overly peppery. Guys, check out Method of the Cigars, you will love it. You know, something, something that's very funny is that when you hear yourself talking, first of all, it is funny by itself. And you, you say, you, you talk about the blend so often and so quickly that sometimes it feels like a script in your head. Because I, I, when, when I'm hearing myself, I'm like, well, that's literally what I said about the limited exposure number two. It's, it, it is what, like, very similar to what I said right now. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because it's not something that is written. It just, you repeat it so often. It just becomes ingrained in your head. <laughs> I mean, especially at a trade show because you have, you know, you give that speech to one person and then three seconds later, somebody else is standing right behind you and they're like, okay, now give it to me. You're like, okay, here we go. You have a few readers like, you guys, you have any issues with each other? No. Okay. So come on, let's get all in. You know, let's, let's talk about Matilde. That way I only have to say it once. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk about that logo because in the video, we got to see the logo kind of up close and personal. So the logo is like an S with tobacco leaves, I think, and it has like a woman kind of in framed in the within the leaves and stuff like that. Where did that logo come from, and what does it mean? The logo originally comes from the seal warranty, of, and I'll send you and I'll send you a picture of the seal warranty when I get my computer, so you can actually uh, see it, and I'll I'll post it on Instagram so people can see it and see what 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 we're talking about. And the seal warranty had an S and an M. Uh, obviously, for this, it was Simeon Mencia or Simeon Matilde, right? And we did a modernization of the logo. So the S is S of tobacco. And for us, it represents Simeon, which is the original owner of Matilde, but also, which is very important for us, is Sejas, our last name. And then instead of having the M, we actually put Matilde in the middle. And if you notice, uh, Matilde is a beautiful splendor uh, or less splendor because initially when the, it was initially she was much more splendor. And I don't remember it was my dad or my mother says, well, Dominicans are very voluptuous. You should put more volume into the into, into the figure. And it, there was a little bit more volume added to it. And it's Matilde in the middle covered by the tobacco leaves. If you notice, uh, the butt is actually covered by the tobacco leaves and then Matilde is kind of showing but not showing. It's like kind of a silhouette 
in uh, in itself. And that's what it represents. It represents Seha Simeon and then Matilde, which is our brand in the middle. And what I do like about your brand is obviously, I think when I speak to younger people in the industry, they understand or get colors a lot more than older people seem to do because older people like the blacks and the golds and the browns <laughs> and the maroons and stuff. And yet younger people like yourself are like, well, let's use some brighter colors because people respond to colors. And I always think that's a, a very interesting and good choice because obviously I would think your box would stand out in the humidor, you know, again, being compared to the, your, your usual, there's some boxes that don't even have any color on. It's just the wood and right. So I think that that use of color really draws you and it kind of, to me, it visually tells people that Matilde is a brand for everybody, but especially it's not afraid to attract a younger, you know, younger adult smokers, obviously. So I think that's a, a very awesome kind of a choice of design. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, colors, I think colors uh, play a, a very important a role in, in any type of brand. I, I don't know much about the, the, the psychology of color, but I do know that some colors, you know, trigger uh, different types of, of, of feelings and, and actions. The, in our case, we wanted to have colors that were bright enough where they would stand out, but wouldn't be too bright. So they would pop like, you know, be too poppy. Mm -hmm. So that's why we use a more natural cabinet uh, uh, kind of pastel colors, which keeps that uh, that color uh, coating and, and and that appeal as you were saying. But it doesn't like it's not if you notice our boxes are matte, not shiny, so right. they use uh, natural. And uh, as I said, with the other our limited exposures, we want I wanted to I wanted to differentiate it from our more classic look on the your core lines. And that's why the, if you notice our rings, let me see if I get one of these. So this is a little exposure number one. If you look at, let's see if it focuses. Would it focus? It won't focus. So the ring is different. The ring is, it's got a brighter color, but then it's got a lot more gold. So it pops out compared to our normal ring, which is your classic ring with an S uh, in the middle. This would be a little bit different, a little bit more poppy, and the colors are the same. As it's something limited, it's something that comes in, and now I wanted it to so stand out a little bit more. So let's say if you love the limited exposure once, and you stop seeing it for six months, eight months, or well, for 18 months in this case, you say, oh, it's there. There it is. It's back. And you come back to it. All right. So that's the idea behind me, having a little bit brighter uh, colors. And being from a Caribbean country, our endemic uh, fauna and flora are usually tropical and, and, you know, they pop out a lot more. So usually at this point in the show, I like to, I, I feel like this is like the advice part um, where I like to put people like you on the spot and have you give advice to, to the readers. Uh, so, or the listeners in this case uh, and the watchers. So usually my first question is what did you have to learn in order to become better at your job? What's something that you had to learn in, in order to become better at what you have to do each day at Matilda? Well, this, I'm a very, uh, even though I, I uh, <laughs> even though I, I interact very, I do interact very well with small groups of people, but I get extremely nervous when I'm with a lot of people. Uh, and, and when I'm in an, an event, it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot out of me. I'm not a natural speaker, uh, so I have to make sure I understand and know exactly what I'm saying. So, the the traveling and traveling and getting to know people not that much, but when it comes to the big events, uh, venues, uh, interviews, and stuff like that, it's new for me. I've been uh, a little bit. Uh, I've been more. And actually, I have a friend that uh, we were talking about it. And she says, I think you have to, you have to, you have to hear more. You have to come out in more interviews. You got to do more. Got to do more because you're a likable person, and, and the more people see you, the more they will like you and like the brand. And and it's out of my comfort zone. It's something that I am practicing a lot more nowadays. But but before I didn't, I say, well, if I have to, I'll do it. 
If I don't, well, you know, I'll stay in the background as my dad. My dad was actually known as a quiet man. There's a, an article in Cigar Aficionado that is the quiet man. My dad's very soft smoke, very, very soft spoken. And, and he is a man of very few words. And uh, I guess I'm out of few words, but, you know, I still get shy. And I think that's been one of the largest uh, obstacles that I've had to uh, learn or come over. So if advice, if you're ever, ever planning in uh, marketing or owning a cigar brand, be sure you're okay with speaking in public. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would never get, you would never get that you are a shy person. So I think whatever you've been doing obviously is, is working because you seem very at ease. Cebus. <laughs> that always helps. There's not actually water. <laughs> what um, what, what I, I think you still have a lot of people who kind of see cigars and the cigar industry as a possible career path, um, despite the FDA stuff, despite legislation and everything else, all the other obstacles. What's your advice to people for jumping into this industry here in 2022? Like, what do they have to do in order to have success and in order to survive? In order to survive. So there's a few things. Uh, first of all, if you don't have your own cigar factory, which I would always recommend to go with an established cigar factory, not because you won't be able to manufacture cigars. Everybody can manufacture cigars, but there's a thing uh, that you don't get when you're starting out, which is aged tobacco. So one of the reasons that we moved with Tabacaira Palma is because either, even though you have access to a lot of tobacco, uh, you have to age it. You have to buy it. So it takes time to, to age uh, or to build that stock of aged tobacco. But whoever you work with, it doesn't matter if it's a new factory, if it's an old factory, make sure it's people you trust and you have good chemistry with because you'll be spending a lot of time with them. And there's going to be times where your cigars are going to be manufactured and packed when you're not there because you you might be traveling or you might be doing uh, something else or in your office or an interview. Mm -hmm. And uh, and plan. I, you need a You need a solid a business plan. Cigars is not, let's make a cigar and let's sell a cigar. There's so much that goes behind it. There's a marketing, there's a travel, there's a lot of expenses that maybe somebody that's not coming into the industry is not seeing and, and they're necessary in order to, 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 to make your cigar brand work. So have a solid business plan and know who your target is you're going to sell to uh, because that will help a lot in, uh, in the initial and uh, in the growing stages in the cigar industry. One of the things that we learned uh, the bad way is, as you were saying initially, uh, we came from corporate. There was a lot of money in corporate. There were big companies. So maybe if I go in retrospect, instead of opening up, when we started Matilda, we opened up all the states and we just went all out. And that, that, itself was a huge expense to maintain because you have to go visit the stores and keep that brand on top of mind and it's easier to, to establish your brand in a territory or in, in an area and if you hyper focus uh your whatever you have whatever resources you have in that area and then keep on moving little by little in different areas you will be a lot more successful than you will because there's one thing that is true in uh in the cigars and the cigar industry and getting your cigar in store is not as hard as it seems it's hard i mean you have to have a great cigar you have to have a good business plan the hardest part of getting your cigars is getting that rotation getting it to move getting people getting the recognition because if your cigar sits in a cigar store for x amount of time it's very probable that that cigar retailer is not gonna uh repurchase it because it's real estate so that's something that you have to be very cautious of when you need to be ready to visit, to travel, to, to, to create that relationship uh, in traveling or in any other sort of way that you can. And you have to have that very clear before uh, you start, you know, going into the cigar industry. If you're not willing to do that, you might as well smoke cigars. 
And a final question for today is how, what's the biggest lesson your father taught you about business? Love it. That's it. I mean, if, if you don't love what you're doing, it doesn't matter how much money you make. And it's a cliche, but it's true. And this industry is not, it's not an easy industry. So you really have to love what you do. I mean, the, as Michael was saying, I mean, there's a there's a huge unbalance when it comes to family-wise. And Michael said that he reevaluated that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have done it and have reevaluated it at a point. But if you don't really love what you're doing and you're on the road six months out of the year and you know you're out of the house, it's it's good times. I mean, people you do enjoy, but you do miss home. So if you don't really love what you're doing. It's just not going to work. There's easier ways to, to, you know, to make money and than it, there is in, you know, selling cigars and, and traveling and, and doing everything that needs to be behind it. So you really have to love what you do to be able to get into the industry, because if you don't, yeah. or you can be a capitalist and invest in somebody that loves it. <laughs> That's another way to go. That's well, you gave two pathways. <laughs> so I think one is more preferable of the other over the other one, but I'm sure some people would probably be like, Yeah, let's just put the money forth to get the <laughs> to get it going. Um, I've had a lot of friends that, that that had come to me and asked me about that. And uh my, my first advice in Dominican Republic is I try to make it in your country. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. in Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. If you have a cigar band, you're making it here. If you don't make it in the Dominican Republic, don't think about going to the States or anywhere else. Just try to make it here. Try to make your brand work here. If you can establish your brand here, then fine. Go ahead and do it and keep on increasing it in other places. But if you can't make it in your hometown, I mean, it's pretty hard to make it elsewhere. And I think that applies to any business. Like you have to start regionally and the, you know, the more local you can start, then you can be there and you can see, go into the retail stores. You can see what's working. You can see what's not working. And then once you perfect it and work out the kinks, then you can expand from there. I think people who try to go too big and go all international, uh, you know, within the first month of launching a product is, is kind of risky. I would agree. I would agree. But keep on making cigars. Keep on going and keep on pushing. It's a beautiful industry. It's uh, it's a family. Uh, and once again, I'll say another cliche. I don't think there is any industry where one you get to see the owner ceos of companies and you get to interact with them that's one uh two i don't see any other place where you can actually uh, cigars are it's a passion it's an icebreaker and you can be traveling anywhere in the world you go to the cigar lounge and you're bound to strike a conversation simply by saying what are you smoking and it's very probable that somebody will say you know what i don't know you but here i love the cigar give it a try and that's something you don't see in many industries. It's not even the conversation. The same here. Here's a twenty dollars cigar. Try it. You know, you're gonna love it. And and, and that that commodity that 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 sharing it's it's something that you don't get anywhere else. I don't think you do. And if there's an industry that where you get it, I don't know of it. And I would love to know of it because I like to at least be a consumer of it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on today. And what I want to do now is give you the opportunity to tell people, uh, I know some people are watching this, so they don't need this, but um, <clears throat> for those people who are listening, tell people how they can follow Matilde, what website they need to follow, what Instagram, what other social media platforms you might be on. Just give us a spill of how to keep track of you and Matilde and what you all are uh, doing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for starters, our website is www.matillacigars.com. Uh, you on our website, you'll see anything that is coming up, the products that we have available, and uh, the store retailers uh, that we have available. Este, we use Instagram and Facebook, so it's at Matilda Cigars, both of them, and Twitter. But we're not very active there, so we're more active on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And you can also follow me. I post a lot of stuff on Matilde. It's Enrique Sejas. It's E-N-R-I-Q-U-E-S-E-I-J-A-S. But usually when I'm posting Matilde stuff, uh, it'll be posted through uh, the Matilde. But I usually post stuff on my stuff on my site too. Um, but to know what's going out, social media and our website is a good place to go, I would say. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on and for following up after TPE about <laughs> being a guest on here. I know I, I was happy to get that message and that you were willing to subject yourself to all my interview questions today. And uh, oh, it's, been, it's, it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much. It's always nice to hear. <laughs> so uh, I definitely have fun learning more about your brand and you'll have to come on again later on in the year to kind of give us another update about, I'm sure some of the new stuff that's coming out and the, the latest oh, yeah. exposure stuff. And uh, there's plenty that obviously we didn't uh, uh, touch on during this hour, but I always do that because I figure it's nice to leave some stuff to talk about for a follow-up interview rather than uh, subject people to a three-hour interview that <laughs> in this industry for some reason, which I have not understood yet, love to put people through three-hour interrogations and interviews, which is a bit much in my opinion. So I always like to leave a lot of stuff to, to follow up on in a a follow-up interview. So we'll definitely want to have you back on at some point to talk about Matilde and what's going on with uh, the company and your family. So you have to look uh, for sure. That. We have a few <laughs> things coming up. So we definitely have uh, other deep cuts that should come out in a couple of months. So there's fun stuff coming out with Matilde. We're developing a lot of fun stuff. So I'll keep you posted. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, we'll definitely have you back on. And for people who are watching this on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, be sure to hit that like button and the follow button uh, to be notified of any time we uh, post new content. Hit like right here. Yeah, like, right here. <laughs> like, and everything else. Like, <laughs> depending on what platform you're on, it could be up, it could be down. Just find that like and follow button and hit it. Uh, we have new interviews coming out uh, two a week for the next couple of weeks. So. Uh, our next interview this week is on Thursday uh, with Spencer from A Reserve. And then we have uh, Castagli uh, on Tuesday of next week. And we have um, Jonas from Blackbird on next Thursday. So it's a lot That's of cool guy. <laughs> so it's a lot of stuff going on, different people, different companies. It'll be all fun. Um, and if you want more interviews like this, there are about 70 two other episodes that you can watch right now. <laughs> so if you go to deepcutslive.com, you'll see a whole bunch of other interviews and uh, industry news that you can kind of keep up with until the next episode. So thank you again, Enrique, for coming on. And thank you all for watching today. And I will see you all on Thursday or whenever you're going to uh, hit up that next episode to listen or watch. So Thank you. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure. And uh, as always, man, I'm available. Just give me a call anytime and uh, let's get it going. Will do. Thank you, everybody, and good night. Good night, people.